the moment that you start forgetting what is money, mm-hmm. after few generations, it's very easy to just like, oh, remember that thing of gold? Remember? No, it's mm-hmm. not anymore here. Mm-hmm. It's just what you are used to. Just paper. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's, it's, it's just shells. Just shells. Um, it's it's like a long range or long term psychological operation. Yeah, getting people gradually to forget what money is, such that you can steal from them systematically. Yeah. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here, joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Mr. Luna, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I think it's the first time I'm in an English show and even the first time on camera on a show. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, you're at least partially hidden in your disguise over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two years ago... Uh, if you would have asked me the same, I would have said, yeah, I have to come, but I cannot show myself because I was not even this half public. Yeah. But since last year, I did this move and yeah, feels okay. Nice. Very cool. So you've got good operational security. Uh, I like the things that is like that, that I don't know. Yeah. Very good. So just by way of quick introduction, you, your name is Luna. Yeah. Um, and you have one of the most popular Spanish-speaking Bitcoin podcasts called Lunaticoin. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, perfect. Uh, okay, okay. Um, maybe we could just start there. I This is the first time we've met. I should probably mention we're in Prague right now for Bitcoin mm-hmm. Prague. Um, and 
really glad to have you on. Uh, I've had some other Spanish-speaking guests that have been orange-pilling the Spanish-speaking world. So I would love to just learn uh, to start a little bit about your life story and your pathway into Bitcoin. Yeah. I'm an architect uh, by profession, education, however you want to call it. And uh, I discovered Bitcoin 2013. I was since long reading always these technological blogs. Mm. And I saw they were talking about Bitcoin. And for me, that was a scam. Uh, something that you have uh, digital, you for sure can copy. And it makes no sense that somebody was paying at the time $1,000 per coin. Mm. And, and it went parabolic in 2013. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to fall. That's not going to end up good. Mm. And it didn't. Uh, it went down. And I was following that, that path down. 2015, I think it touched $150. And I was like, yeah, I knew it. Mm. I'm a very smart guy. And then I forgot about it. 2017, uh, the same blog stock that it, it reached 1,000. And then I say, what's going on? Uh, I'm, am I stupid? Or there is something there that I'm not really seeing? And then it hits 2,000. And I say, no, <laughs> no way. Uh, I, I have to jump in. I FOMO in. And I say, I will learn later. Mm -hmm. And that was like a nonstop. It was spring 2017. And I did a tweet last week that it's been six years now. And since that day, I haven't stopped thinking about Bitcoin for a day mm. and thinking, what is Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. And, and wh why do we use it? What, what is, why is here with us? Mm. And that's a little bit my, my falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And since 2018, one year later, I was so deep. I was studying so much that I thought, yeah, why not sharing this? Why not sharing my path? No? Mm. And that's when the show started. And since then, I, I had, I suppose, like many people, my my shitcoin way you know it's like you, you, I, I came here for the money i came for for the volatility so i thought okay there is there are things that are more volatile and and yeah and then it's when you start your path and you start to to really understand or to think what is money and what are these other things and what is bitcoin and that's when you focus and that's this marvelous road that you do down the mm -hmm. bitcoin rabbit hole and since then here i am 2023 it's beautiful it's it, uh, off honestly closely mirrors my own journey because I started when Bitcoin I looked at it in like 2014 but kind of wrote it off you know bought a little sold it thought I was smart made more made dollars but then it, when 2017 when it was around a thousand dollars that's when I started buying it seriously and not selling it mm. and um yeah I don't think I've stopped thinking about it either for a single day since it's crazy because uh, I always say where my, where your money goes, your mind follows. So it's like once I had that skin in the game, I really wanted to understand what this thing was, mm. and it's just been a it's been a six year journey at this point. It's crazy because if you think about it, if there is something else that you haven't stopped thinking for the last six years, I think that there are not many things, if any. Yeah. For a day. Yeah, I would say the only other thing for me is since the birth of my daughter, I think I think about her every day. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, pretty significant event going mm -hmm. into the Bitcoin rabbit hole. That is for sure. Um, you said, when I asked you offline, who orange-pilled you? Mm -hmm. um, you said it was the volatility, a combination of volatility and some technology blogs you were following. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through your orange-pilling experience? Yeah, I think it's it's like a, an orange peel on delay. 
because yeah I, as i said before i, I just uh, i was reading i was uh, questioning myself i always question myself in many things i like to think one thing today and tomorrow just question myself mm -hmm. my decision of thinking that is right and that's what i did in 2017 about bitcoin and then these blogs were talking and for me it was just that in few days or in a few weeks it went from 1000 to 2000 and for me, 1,000 from 2013, it was crazy already. Mm. So how come we are now in 2000? And then that's uh, volatility. It, it, I thought I was missing something. I was, and this is the definition of FOMO, no? fear of missing out. Yes. And, and this is what I did. So I, I orange peel myself with a lot of these uh, light reads on Bitcoin. Mm. These blocks are like, oh, Bitcoin hits 1,000, the, the craze of the crypto market. So this kind of... Um, uh, very superficial uh, yeah. blocks because they talk about anything. Uh, and this is what orange peel. So, so I think that I orange peel myself uh, just by out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing. Sometimes I suppose that I orange peel myself on other topics that maybe two months later I was on of them. Mm. But Bitcoin, no. Bitcoin, mm. still there. Was there a particular moment in that journey that you recall having the inflection point, like going from curiosity to conviction let's say in bitcoin yeah um i, I mean it, it was a process as i was saying no and and but for me the the no way back moment was uh riga 2019 baltic honey badger and it was so, when 2017 happened the the bull market uh, the 20,000. You have this kind of moment that you want to talk about it with everybody, mm. with your family, with your friends. And some of them follow your advice and mm. they start to buy, but they are not so convinced. And then it, it goes down. It goes down to 3,000. And then people look at you and say, hey, what about this thing? No, I bought it 15,000. Mm. What about this thing? And then it's like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it with anybody. Yes. I'm done. I'm done. And because I, I realized it was a mistake by my side. Um... And, and then I, I started to leave Bitcoin on my own, privately. Studying it, doing my show. My friends and family didn't know that I was doing the show. I started to have friends in, from other, all the parts of the world, but uh, my close friends didn't know about it. And then in, I was so alone, let's say, in my journey, only with digital friends. And then when I went to Riga, Baltic County Budget 2019, it changed everything. It, it was like, no, this is real. This is not me being crazy or yeah going mad mm -hmm. no no this is real and and it's alive there is mm -hmm. a lot of companies working on this and and yeah there is a future on this i remember listening to nova listening to Seifedin there and it's like whoa 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 and yeah and since then i came back and and i was a full bull full toxic or starting my journey to toxicity or maximalism and yeah this, this is, for me, was a, an eye-opening moment. That's great. That also closely mirrors my own journey. It's, you know, you do your own research into Bitcoin by whatever means. And I think over time, it seems to be like a one-way street. People, the more work you do, the more bullish or the more bullish you become or the deeper your conviction becomes on Bitcoin. And it, not a lot of people seem to go the other way. It's like mm. it is a proof-of-work thing to understand Bitcoin. That's one thing, right? To like develop your own conviction based on your own research, your own reading, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you actually, and it's typically isolating because you're listening to podcasts, reading, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of Bitcoiners around you in most, for most people, I think. But then you go to one of these Bitcoin events 
and you encounter these others, right? Other mm-hmm. Bitcoiners that have gone along similar journeys, albeit different, right? Their own unique kind of intellectual path into Bitcoin. Super smart people, very ethically aligned, all arriving at the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. And for me too, that was uh, a, a tremendous contribution to my conviction in the asset class. Like it's one thing for me and my own limited viewpoint to arrive at this conclusion. But when you have the consilience of all these different people from all different walks of life, people that I, you know, I admire them intellectually and um, all arriving at that same conclusion, it seems like a very strong signal, let's say, for the significance of Bitcoin. It was, uh, I think that there is a lot in this Matrix movie, no? That um, when Morfeo is selling to, sending these first messages to, to Neo and saying, mm. yeah, I know that you're looking for something. Uh, you've been looking for it your whole life, no? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like Bitcoin is this piece that answers you a lot of questions that me, myself, I was asking since I remember conversations with my grandmother when I was maybe seven or nine asking that uh, why people just don't give things for free. Then if I give my production of bread for free to you, you can give me the, your production of shoes for free. So I was thinking about communism and I was thinking, trying to learn about money. So it just, it appears Bitcoin and, and, and all your values get aligned. And, and then you go to one of these events and you see these people with the same values align. And of course, yeah, you don't feel alone anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. It's good for the soul. Good for the conviction. Yeah. The above. Okay, so you, on your show, you talk to a lot of, uh, uh, again, it's Spanish speaking, but you're talking to Bitcoin core developers, economists, anyone in and around Bitcoin. Based on your conversations, which I, I'm sure you've learned a lot going through the process of doing this show, uh, it's something I really appreciate about doing this show is like I, I just get to learn for a living. It's, yeah. it's a blast. Um, how do you describe what's happened to the world let's say since 1971. Um, We've obviously transformed our monetary system and it's transformed everything about the world. If someone is asking you, you know, like what have you learned in doing the show and how has the world changed since 1971? How do you I I will go even a little bit uh, farther. Mm. Um, I realized that in something like 100, 150 years, uh, we forgot where we come from. Um, So uh, you talk a lot about money and what is money and we have a history of 5,000 years and we have seen how people has tried to find the best money Mm -hmm. and they found it. The best money was gold and that's what they used. And since the finishing of uh, American War, Secession War, I think it's called, no, in 1860 something, this is when where everything starts to change in my opinion. Uh, we have free banking before, even in Scotland and Canada, and you can see there was no central banks, and you can see how things were going. Well, good. Even you had the paper money, but it was okay because you had an easy redemption, and if a bank failed, normally the other banks were coming, private banks were coming to save people who had deposit there. And this is how it did work. But then you see how the state starts to take control in after this war. And they start to, to issue greenbacks and they start to, to try to take control of money. And then we move from that, maybe the next step, if, of course, Federal Reserve, 1913. But for me, uh, then people got used to use paper money. It was more convenient. 
it made sense, but okay, with a classical gold standard that anybody could exchange gold uh, paper for gold, that was no problem. But then, 19, well, first uh, war finishes that, and then uh, 1933, uh, Order 6102. <laughs> that changes all. And that is telling people, and even Roosevelt in his uh, speech says... Can you just tell people what that is for who yeah. may not know it? Yeah, that was the moment when Roosevelt uh, forbid uh, the to have uh, to store gold privately. Yes, there was a there was a, a point where you can have if you had the collection money mm. uh, because the his treasury guy was a really fan of collecting gold coins. Mm. So he put this, and you if you had a, like a good collection, you could keep it. But uh, just to store gold at home, it was not allowed. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't sell it. So basically, we talk a lot about Nixon. But it, it's nearly everything started there. Mm-hmm. Like the big move started there. Because at that moment, yeah, it had still to come 11 years later, uh, Bretton Woods Agreement. But from that moment on, Americans couldn't use uh, gold to, to as a saving. They yeah. had to trust the dollar and they had to trust uh, what the, the Treasury and the Fed uh, were doing. And then uh, this is like the making the paper money the money. Mm-hmm. And, and even Roosevelt in his speech uh, said like, this is by no means fiat money. So people was really uh, didn't want to have fiat money. Yeah. And this, they had this memory. And then a few years later, Bretton Woods, the Bretton Woods, they made like, yeah, another gold standard, but it was a, a, a dollar gold standard. You needed first to go to dollar and then dollar to gold. Perfect. And then Nixon, 71, which says, yeah, remember when we said that we would exchange any dollar that you bring me to gold? I'm sorry, we're not going to do that. So they defaulted. Temporarily. Temporarily, but they defaulted. And I was thinking the other day to do a, a list of tweets saying, like, yeah, this uh, Nixon tried to do that in 1971. Thanks God, all the other countries uh, joined together and say, no way. And then he resigned, and thanks God, nowadays we still have gold standard yeah. uh, because all the countries say no. But this didn't happen. Yeah. Countries say, yeah, because of course the uh, United States had the power right. and they accepted it. So for me, how I see what happened is that in, in a situation of 100, 150 years, different little by little uh, political decisions made people to forget what money was. Mm. It was 5,000 years of trying to find the best money and trying to evolve it, making it paper money uh, in the private banks, not in central banks. And more or less working, and then little by little, making that knowledge uh, disappear. Mm-hmm. Few generations after, people didn't, well, some people discussed, of course, but common people didn't discuss, accepted dollar, accepted paper as good money, and this is where we are. We're in a moment that they don't have anything forcing uh, to, to have a, a good uh, monetary policy. Mm-hmm. They just can do whatever they feel is better. Right. So this is the situation we are now. They can do whatever they want. They have different mechanisms of uh, increasing the monetary base and that affecting the monetary offer. So at the end, when you see the graphs, there is this website, you know, this famous website of what the, what the F uh, happened in 1971. When you see the graph, that, that has to mean something. Why do we use uh, flats and houses for, as a store of value? Why? Because people has uh, big problems in using other means of uh, storing value. And then they store value in the things they know. That's why it's nearly impossible for somebody who starts to work and works for five years 
to buy a flat uh, without a, a mortgage. And this is the situation we are. Why people is get speculating with uh, homes? Well, maybe just first of all start asking, uh, what's the problem with money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. As if the the disciplinary pressure that gold provided for government, mm-hmm. like keeping governments honest, keeping government growth limited, um, that was the the yoke that was thrown off in 1971, right? Just like, no more of this. Um, Giving governments this capacity to print currency ad infinitum and therefore Mm -hmm. grow without limits. Uh, And individuals have no check on that, right? Like typically, if a government was being irresponsible with their monetary policy and overproducing currency, savers could move wealth into gold and leave the country. And that that would apply a disciplinary force on that country to be more responsible uh, with our monetary policy and accountable to the preferences of those citizens. But once you remove that option, it's like, that's why government has run amok. Um, mm-hmm. at least, at least it's one of the primary reasons. Like I, I don't see the possibility of the centralized nation state swelling to the size it's become today without this move to a fiat currency standard. Why this, uh, civilization that we're using shells as money, stop using money. Because uh, Europeans came and they brought uh, a lot of shells. Counterfeit little. Yeah. And they didn't realize that that was not good money. Yeah. And that's how in 5,000 years history, we realized that gold is, uh, was yes. the best money. Yeah. Because so, we can't counterfeit it. Exactly. Yeah. And now, uh, this is uh, my lesson. No, like They made bit by bit. Because 1971 is the famous year, but I think it was way more important than 1933. Mm. It was the moment that they forbid gold. Right. And, and when the moment that you start forgetting... What is money? Mm-hmm. After a few generations, it's very easy to just like, oh, remember that thing of gold? No, it's not anymore here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just what you are used to. Just paper. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just, just shells. Just, huh. It's once we, it's something about that mistaking. You start to mistake because the dollar was just a representation for gold originally, right? It's like a paper warehouse receipt you take to the warehouse to get gold. Mm. But over time, if people get accustomed enough to transacting in just that paper, then they f- they forget what money is, as you're saying, right? They forget that it, it's supposed to be a representation for gold. And then you can get people to just have confidence in the paper itself. And then you're, in, you're engaged in a confidence game. Like the, the dollar will work to the extent that people will continue thinking and acting as if it works. All the while, you know, the central bank is... Uh, in expanding the supply of that currency, debasing its purchasing power. And so you're trying to, you, you end up getting in this situation where the central bank and the nation state, it needs to lie to the people, right? To convince them, uh, or in God we trust, right? Is on the dollar, you know, all of these, these mythological symbols and sayings to try and impart integrity to the dollar when in fact the integrity is being violated all the time mm-hmm. through, through currency counterfeiting. Um, it's, it's like a long range or long term psychological operation, yeah. getting people gradually to forget what money is such that you can steal from them systematically. Yeah. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res, three-inch touchscreen. 
It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version, because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. That's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. Now I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? (laughs) So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. It, uh, it blew my mind. I was reading Halfini uh, uh, texts from 92, and, I, and I, it blew my mind that he was mentioning uh, George uh, Selgin in a, tech, in, a, mm-hmm. in a text. Yeah, And I started to investigate because it was saying that before this secession war, there was no such a thing as a public dollar in the mm-hmm. States. It was only private bills, mm-hmm. private paper money. And I was like, no way, dollar come on, no central bank, come on, no central authority in the States. And no, it was like a, not a very long period, but there was this, the, the not not really free banking uh, yeah. era, but there was a kind of a free banking era. It was not a very good one compared to Canada or Scotland, mm-hmm. but uh, there was. And money, paper money, was an instrument, was a tool, like I, paper, yeah, was a tool because it was inconvenient. Uh, to move around yeah. and and also when later on when telegraph was invented it, you needed something that you could just send information so ledger and debt was convenient okay but in a private bank system it makes more sense not the one that was in the states but uh, it made sense and and that blew my mind to realize that yeah that paper money before being like public thing or a political thing it was a private instrument mm-hmm. And and that uh, that makes you it, it's good because when you fall 
Bitcoin uh, rabbit holes, you start by 1971, and then you try to learn more, and you go to 1933, and then you learn more, and you go to free banking of the states, then you go to free banking of Scotland, and then you realize, okay, so the real evolution maybe stopped there. Maybe we stopped real evolution of money in free banking. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, it has been just political money. Mm -hmm. And by no means, paper is a political instrument, is a commercial instrument. And but that that's that's not anymore the case. Now it's a political instrument. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. We we introduced paper as a means of convenience, right? To make gold more convenient, more usable, more transactable. But then that became a very uh vulnerable political attack vector. Well now, you know, politicians and government can just well, all the gold's in one place, right? It's like a honey mm -hmm. pot. Mm -hmm. Like if we if we're going to war and we need to raise additional funds, we don't need to go door to door and tax people and then try to enforce the tax and collect the tax and spend all this effort. You can just go straight to the bank where all the gold is stored, right? And award either confiscated directly, award yourself cheap loans, um, you know, any number of things to get a lot of juice for a little bit of squeeze. That was the conclusion of Nick Chavo, no? Yeah. Uh, trusted third parties are security holes. Yeah. And this is, uh, he, he, he likes uh, gold, yeah. but, uh, the, the, and a lot of people like gold, and even Saif Adin, I think he was the one who in 2000, no, in 2019 in Riga, he said like, the best way to finish uh, Bitcoin is to go back to a proper uh, gold standard. Yes. And if it works and, and people don't overprint and so on, mm -hmm. uh, definitely there is no need of Bitcoin. Right. But uh, the problem is that for gold, you need trusted third parties. That's and right. that's, if there is a chance, they will use it. Yes, yes. That security hole will always exist. Yeah. And the counterparty risk necessary to scale gold. Um, okay, we're we're dancing around my favorite question here. So I have to ask you, um, we've talked about people forgetting what money is, perhaps even by design. Hmm. Um, what is money? Uh, how? When someone asks you this question, after three years of doing this, I have more questions than answers, actually. Yeah. What approach do you take in explaining the nature of money? Uh, if I have the time and it's a friend, what I try to to make him think is that to go back in history mm -hmm. and to explain the, the problem of the the barter economy. No, I don't even know if barter was a really like a thing for long. Uh, I think that we're using debt uh, in small circles and... And then we started using money. Um, but uh, yeah, when you are in that economy, it's, it's very difficult that uh, we can have the same needs at the same moment with uh, what you produce and I produce. So you need uh, you will exchange things to another good, to another commodity that you know that uh, somebody else will accept. So to make the trade, you start accepting something that you don't really want, but that you know that will be accepted. And then... This is the how money is born. It's just a commodity that you are just getting. And maybe at some point it was different commodities that you were accepting. Like, okay, do you have salt? No, I don't have salt. Okay. Do you have shells? Yeah, I have shells. Okay, give me shells. Mm -hmm. uh, so that you can be accepting different things that you know that will allow you to eat tomorrow, for mm -hmm. example. Uh, and that, there is an evolution. Like uh, the, this commodity, uh, there is one commodity that gets commonly accepted generally accepted mm -hmm. and this is how we find money and i would say that money is this thing that is generally accepted and that generates less friction in between people that will provide you the things that you need mm -hmm. 
So this is how money was born. And this is how I see it's just a medium to exchange, a medium that you want to hold for a while, not to, for consumption, but for you to be able to get other things in the future. Mm. A way of storing um, wealth for mm. the future. Mm. It's funny when you, when you articulate that description, it, it sounds a lot like language too, right? Where mm. there's a means of uh, reducing friction in human interaction, right? Versus you and I sitting here trying to fight over a sandwich or something, right? We could actually talk through Oh, well, maybe we could cut it in half. You know, we can negotiate. So it's a, it's a a means for reducing friction between humans such that humans can cooperate at scale. It sounds very much like a language. But what what would be language for you in, in this example? Well, something like English, you know? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, compared to, to this uh, money analogy, you, yeah. I'm asking this because I, I think that language would be the market. Mm. And the money is something very that you don't see because in fact it's the air between us. Oh uh, yeah, the air. It's the medium. The medium, right. In which right. we can market. Right. Uh, we market, so we language mm -hmm. through this medium and money is just this medium. Mm. So people just was trying to find the best air Yes. in which they could communicate uh, market, they could, could make, create market. Yes. So, um, and yeah, that's, that's my way. It's a medium, a medium of exchange right. is the air. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so the substance between us through which what we're propagating life. messages. Yeah. If we would be in space, yeah. nowhere, right. no communication through voice. Right, 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 right. That makes no money. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think about it that way. You're, you know, water to a fish, right? It's kind of like their medium of exchange, yeah. something like that. Um, and it makes it hard to conceive of it and talk about it because it's hidden in plain sight. I think there was a long time that we didn't understand that air was even a substance yeah. because it's not visible. Um, and that's what politicians use because yeah. it's hidden in yes. plain sight. Yes. People don't think about it. They just use money. Yeah. And money was dollars. Yeah. Uh, so dollars, the same dollars before 1971 are as good as dollars now. They are right. dollars. So because this is our air. Mm. Yeah. And then you can just change the definition of a dollar and perpetrate the biggest crime in human history basically the biggest default yeah yeah that's right uh, okay so all right money is like an economic air between us uh what is bitcoin and is bitcoin money i my the answer i have to say is i don't know i i no. for me it's money let's say like that for me it's money the question is it will be the money Mm -hmm. the generally accepted money I don't know and I have doubts about it I was this is uh, something I, I, as I said before I like to challenge myself and I have had moments where I was seeing so clear that Bitcoin will be the money for uh, many reasons we, we for sure many values we share but uh, the, the Spanish scene is very interesting there are some things that don't reach the, the, the English uh, but th there has been some papers and some discussion about um, the problematic of Bitcoin having a fixed supply, no, and comparing it to gold. Even I think that uh, Lawrence White uh, did a book called Better Money Now, mm. when uh, where he compares fiat, uh, gold, and Bitcoin, and he tries to think what can be our best our best money, mm -hmm. no. And and yeah, it makes me think 
trying to learn from the past, uh, it makes me realize that for gold, there are moments where, where you demand more money, where you demand more medium mm -hmm. of exchange. Mm -hmm. No, you demand to store more and so on. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, when you have a fixed supply, I think that these peaks in demand will keep on creating volatility forever. forever. Um, it's not a matter of adoption, that this is what I've, uh, I've read a lot, but I don't think it is the case. I think that volatility will always live in Bitcoin because this demand, this raises in demand, for example, it comes Christmas. People need to buy things. They demand money. So there is a, a higher demand of money. So how is Bitcoin going to hold the same value? For example, what happened? I was talking with some Belarusians the other day. I was asking them, like, how is money there? And, and they were telling me that they don't use their money. They, 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 it's uh, Belarusian rubles. Uh, that as soon as they get some, they change to dollars, which was funny for me, not euros, dollars. And, and I was asking, so when there is a crisis, um, do the price of dollar fluctuates a lot because you don't have a dollar bank there? So you have a, a limited supply. Right. I says, yeah, definitely. When we had some crisis or the war crisis and so on, the price of dollar uh, skyrockets. And then after a few months, weeks, it goes down. So I think that this is what can happen with Bitcoin um, like uh, at Eternum. And this is what makes me think like, uh, and, and gold, for example, was uh, uh, accepting this uh, demand by having, in, in this case, in these moments, by printing uh, more paper instruments by private banks. And then when market relaxes, they were redeeming and let's say then and canceling this debt. Meanwhile, there were more mines being open and more development there and then finding more gold. With Bitcoin, we cannot do that. We can put more terahashes, mm -hmm. but we cannot create more. It's 900 Bitcoin per day nowadays. So that makes me think like, will it be the money? I don't know. For I'm starting to see it like uh, this uh, private property that uh, we never had before. Mm. It's uh, kind of a liquid wealth more than money. And, and that, yeah, that is amazing because we can exchange and we can exchange value with uh, wealth, with um, something that was very hard before. Mm. But money as um, for general use, I've been two times in El Salvador. Uh, when 2021 and 2022. And I, I sp I've been speaking with people from the street, people that were selling coconuts. The first year, uh, Bitcoin in bull market, they were accepting Bitcoin. They were very happy with Bitcoin. Mm. Second year, uh, bear market, they weren't accepting Bitcoin, but they were telling me that every day they were going to the ATM and changing it for dollars. Mm. And I said, why? I said, no, we cannot deal with volatility. We cannot accept it. So I... My path now is to understand that volatility is a cost hmm. and is a cost that people normally doesn't like it for their money because they want to have this uh, like shorter term uh, stability that they will know what they will be able to buy. Right. So it is money for me in, in some community, for example, it's uh, in, in digital communities, probably is money nowadays, but for the short term. Because there is no other option, no? So when there is no other option, Bitcoin can be money, definitely. But if we're talking about money as the general accepted money, 
I don't know if it will be. And that's not a problem. Because some people think that if, if you think that it will not be money, that you're against Bitcoin. No. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand it. I'm just trying to understand what it's his uh, position in the world. Yeah. yeah, that's a great, great answer. Now, it's funny that the most generally accepted definition of money is a generally accepted medium of exchange or the most generally accepted medium of exchange. But that's not the only definition, obviously. Uh, we would say, if that were the definition, then we'd say, well, the U.S. dollar is money, right? Mm -hmm. Period. But the U.S. dollar is not money in the sense that it can never be the final extinguisher of a debt. And now we don't typically think that. We think if I send you money, if I send you dollars, I've paid the debt and we're done. But what we don't typically see again is that liability that's built into the dollar, which is the Federal Reserve can print it and you can't. So there's this liability that's always being defaulted upon in a way. Uh, it's like an implicit default when the central bank prints and you bear the cost of that in the form of uh, debased purchasing power. So as an instrument for final settlement, the dollar is not money, but gold and Bitcoin are money. I don't agree. You don't agree? No. Nope. Tell me why. How do you pay your taxes? How do you settle your taxes? You Depends where, but in the U.S. with dollars. Do you settle? Do you have a uh, uh, like a yeah like a settlement of your debts with dollars? I know that dollar is a liability. The dollar is debt. You're using dollar um, as um, because there is this also this another knowledge of of money. Of money is a real asset, and what is not money is what is debt. I I know that I've mm. been there. Okay, but. Uh, Okay, maybe we're talking about two different things. Maybe we can recreate the definition of uh, money um, and then we have two definitions of money. But uh, I just to go back to what you were saying, no, I don't agree. You, you settle debts with liabilities. And even you were doing in a moment of, um, for example, free banking based on gold, you had paper instruments which were liabilities mm -hmm. and you were able to settle debts buying fruit by, with paper. Yes. And yeah, if they accepted it, right. maybe they were saying, no, no, give me a stone. To me, I don't want paper, right. I want the stone. But if they accepted paper, you settle debts with liabilities. I would say you're settling your own debt perhaps, but you're not settling it with finality in the sense that you've basically transferred the debt. So if I pay you in dollars, my debt to you is repaid. I don't owe you anything else. Mm -hmm. But now you're carrying the liability of that dollar and that the Federal Reserve can debase you. Now, I'm thinking about this through an accounting lens, mm -hmm. which is assets equals liabilities plus equity. Mm -hmm. So if you're holding gold or Bitcoin, you've got asset equals liability plus equity, well, there's zero liability. You own, like to possess gold, to physically possess gold as a bare asset implies you have 100% equity stake in that asset. There's 0% liability. That's not the same for dollars though, right? Like there's a liability built into that dollar yeah. that can be expressed through the debasement of currency. So that's when I say, sure, you can settle debts, but I wouldn't say, I guess the word settle would be the operative word. You're kind of transferring the debt in a way. That. I can repay my debt to you yeah. with dollars, but now you carry the burden of the Federal Reserve debasing your purchasing power. 100%. We're paying ourselves with debt in, yeah. and, and many qualities of debt. Because in the moment that I'm using a transfer, when I'm wiring you dollars, not as a cash, but as a wire, 
that's debt over debt. Mm-hmm. There's the di- liability of the Federal Reserve plus mm-hmm. the liability of whichever are our banks. Mm-hmm. Then right. there are more. Yeah. There are more. Venmo, PayPal, like all these counterparties. And for example, I, I, I got to learn the other day that in the States, when you have a, a time deposit for a year, this is an instrument mm-hmm. that they use between banks to pay themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pay you for the instrument that Robert has in this account for one year, mm-hmm. like a lot. And I'm going to pay this other bank a debt that I have. Mm-hmm. So it's a debt over a debt over a debt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is like layered money. Yes, and yes, yes. But I, I want like... Shout out Nick Batia, great yeah. player. <laughs> so, but if we go back, uh, I agree. I said the whole, uh, we are, I said we're living in a very bad uh, money moment and we forgot our history. But what we use nowadays, generally, mm-hmm. what creates the less friction mm-hmm. is dollars in the States, yeah. euros in Europe, no? So, uh, and then, okay, let's forget about debt or uh, assets uh, as, uh, used as money. But what about the costs? The costs of an asset? Because in this discovery of which commodity can become money, you try to figure out the costs of holding that commodity. Mm-hmm. And volatility is a cost, mm-hmm. and I am worried about it. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, makes me think about Bitcoin as a very short-term money. Mm-hmm. So value for value, um, like sending zaps and so on. If you want to think it like a, that you hold and you send and so on, like a short term, yeah. okay, money. And f- again, for places where you have no other option, it's definitely money. But where place when you have an option, why in places like Argentina, that I was there last year, why they prefer to use Tether and not Bitcoin? Right, short term price stability, purchasing power stability. Yeah. yeah. Now, but do you, th- I mean... I subscribe to the vision that, which is I think somewhat proven out over Bitcoin's 14 year history, that the purchasing power of volatility subsides as its market capitalization increases, yeah. which is true of basically every asset, right? Like the smaller the asset, the more volatile it tends to be. So the bigger, the less volatile. Do you subscribe to that as well? You mean by the most uh, the most people that is in the asset, do you mean? No, I mean, as so as Bitcoin's market cap yeah. goes from... 10 billion to 100 billion to a trillion, which was like its most recent peak, you know, when it was at 69,000, it was around a trillion dollar market cap. The intraday, intramonth volatility of that asset tends to contract Mm. inversely to the expansion of the market cap. So if Bitcoin becomes a hundred trillion dollar asset, presumably it would have much smaller uh, volatility, price volatility, because it would have a much deeper market. So in that case, it would sir, it could be a better candidate for a day-to-day transactional purchasing power stable medium. It will get better, definitely, but I don't know if it will be enough. Mm. This is um, because it's still very volatile, and if if you think to reduce it by a lot of magnitudes, uh, this is my question. Because again, it's fixed supply. So if you would say like, no, but now with Fedi means maybe you mm-hmm. can have some. Um, not full reserve Fedi means, and then you can, whenever there is demand, you can create mm-hmm. basically like paper, gold, uh, and so on. Okay, but I don't think it will work because the qualities of Bitcoin are different. And mm-hmm. there was a need of storing gold somewhere to keep it secure and to get the convenience of being able to send it to other places mm-hmm. in the world or the country uh, without having to transport. So mm-hmm. it had a reason. But Bitcoin is natively digital. 
it, Bitcoin is, uh, with a little bit of knowledge, easy to store. And uh, the, the best quality of Bitcoin, or one of the best, is that it has no storage costs. And this, again, it goes back to the, what's the cost of this new commodity we're going right. to use as, as money? And for example, storage is, yeah, Bitcoin is top, top class, right. better than gold, better than anything. But volatility, this is what worries me. So again, I might be, I definitely, I don't have the truth. And I might change my opinion mm -hmm. uh, in a month and a year. But now I'm in this point that I have my doubts and that's not a bad thing. It's already, sure. Bitcoin is successful already yeah. and it's wealth. I have no doubt about it. Yeah. Can it be money? Uh, it has challenges. Yes. Yeah, it certainly does. There's no question about that. Uh, I guess one last piece of pushback I would say on that is, yes, volatility is a risk. It is a cost. Um, it's a, it's an element of uncertainty, but it cuts both ways too, right? Like you can't have the prospect of exponential increases in purchasing power without the asset being volatile. Definitely. Right. But Amazon in 1994, you know, I, I think in actually in, I can't remember if it was 94 or 2000, Amazon had like a 94% drawdown the stock, mm -hmm. right? And then it's since grown, since that point, it's grown like 40,000% or some crazy number. You, you're just not going to get that level of growth possibility without stomaching the volatility of a 94% drawdown. Yeah. So they, they go hand in hand would be my point. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's, I would say that that point is, uh, is following this uh, thesis I'm putting today on the mm -hmm. table, that that's true. I agree. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where I think that Bitcoin will go. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I have problems thinking as Bitcoin as money in the long run, and that's okay. Mm. No problem. No, no, it's great. Uh, we need to think through these things to help Bitcoin succeed. Actually. Exactly. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use, all of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin, and for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code breedlove uh, okay what is your perspective on bitcoin philosophy it's so strange to me that something is maybe traditionally considered mundane and boring as money like people you know whatever it's like 
accountants and yeah. finance guys, like traditionally considered pretty boring types. Uh, but all of a sudden we have this revolution in money called Bitcoin and it's got guys like you and I going down this strange rabbit hole into philosophy and metaphysics and psychology and sociology, like all these different domains. Wh why? What's going on? What is Bitcoin philosophy? Why does it emerge? What, why are we so drawn into this rabbit hole? Yeah. I, I was, uh, I don't know, because when you talk about philosophy, you have like different perspective of how, how it adapts to your philosophy of life and so on. And I like to think whenever I, th I hear about philosophy nowadays, I think about uh, political philosophy, mm -hmm. no? What's the place of, of Bitcoin in the political philosophy of the world? And political as being the systems that we figure out for humans to take decisions that will affect many people. And that I have to say a big, like, what made, I would say, the Spanish world evolve. And now it's even possible for the, the English people to get that knowledge because it got translated, this book, to, into English. It's the author, Álvaro de María. Um, he's a Spanish, uh, I would say, philosopher, author. Uh, that uh, he had this bo little book two years ago that, uh, that he made me see what, like, how incredible is Bitcoin when you look at it from the with the lenses of the political perspective. And let me explain a little bit more there. Um, we are living in a nation state. You know? And nation state is so powerful and is so blinding. It's a little bit like the same blinding they did with money. Uh, so blinding that we think that nation state were there since always. But that's not true. When we call in Spanish, I don't know how it in English is the same, but we call the, the city-state of Florence, no? Mm -hmm. Or we call the, 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 the city-state of many other cities, no? But that's not true. That, that, that the political form of Florence was not the state, okay? Nation-states start to be born uh, in the 15th century in Italy, and, 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 and this uh, bit by bit evolves, and it, the marketing moment of nation-states is probably the French Revolution, and, and then this uh, political form starts to be adopted by uh, all the places everywhere. What is the form of the political state? Before uh, the, na sorry, the nation state. Before the nation state, uh, we had two powers in society. We had the authority uh, and the power itself, the physical power itself. Um, this is in, in Spanish would be autoridad y potestad. It's like political power versus physical power. Something I will yeah. give you an example. Yeah. In the Spanish uh, kingdom, the, the the one that got the imperium, no, the discovery America and so on, um, there was uh, the power was the king. Mm. They had the physical power. They had the soldiers. Okay, but there was the authority that was the church. Okay, church was saying how people should live life mm. uh, with uh, which values, and the power was enforcing those values. Mm. Was making that people was uh, behaving how they should. Okay, but these two powers were separate. That was there was that's why there was a lot of fights. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we have seen chapters like uh, Henry VIII, I think, in and and in, in England, like defying this uh, authority right. and so on. Okay, but uh, these two powers were separate, and we can find them the same in Rome. There were two powers. Okay, authority was one thing very different from physical power, mm. uh, the governing power. And then this finishes in, in, in absolutism, no? The, in absolutism, these powers get together in one figure, in one king. 
and this is what we call the sovereign person. The God King. Yeah, because before we had the God saying the, his things with uh, from the authority and then us executing them. But now, no, now there is a human on earth that is able to say what is good and executes that. It's all in one person, okay? And so we fulfill his de desires. And, and that is what, uh, when French Revolution happened, they cut the head of the king, but the apparatus, the political system, the, the administration of this uh, nation state survived. Instead of having one king, we started to have later on democracy and so on, but the apparatus is the same. It's, we are able to create uh, laws, to create policy, is a better word now, but uh, that maybe, that's why people a lot of times think, oh, but this law is unfair. It shouldn't be like this. Because one thing is what the policymakers say that is good, this authority inside the sovereignty. And the other thing is the, the common belief what is, moral. what is moral, what is right or wrong. That's why there is these problems now. Yes. It's, it's, it's in, the, in, the, in, the, what, in the root of the nation state. Right. So for nation state to succeed, they need full power. They are gods. And, and then is where you see what Bitcoin is doing here. Bitcoin is taking one of his biggest powers. That is to take the, the power for, the state has to be able to um, take whatever it wants. Has to be able to uh, confiscate whatever it wants. It's the supreme power. And for the first time, we have something that they cannot take. And you don't need an army. You don't need tanks. You don't need guns. You just need them not to find your private keys. So, and Bitcoin is, is, a, is a property. It's the most radical property we have had. So, uh, the, the appearance of Bitcoin is, is just uh, a reminding that the nation state is just a political form. It's just another political form and that we have had it for 400 years or like more generally for 200, 300 years. And the same that it appeared, it can end. And Bitcoin is a starting to uh, take from the nation state uh, governors their power. The same as, as uh, cyberspace has uh, like cyberspace is a big problem for them yeah. because now there is another realm with no borders that it's escaping their control. They try, they put a lot of uh, firewalls and so on, the great firewall of China. Right. But these two things together is what it really uh, makes, motivates me to think that Bitcoin has not only a point in the history of money, yeah. but has also a point in the history of political forms. Yeah. It's the beginning of uh, a state that you see that is starting to shake. It's a tree, you know, when the tree is rotten, you don't see it. Because from the outside, you see it's perfect. Right. But when the storm comes, uh -huh. you, you only hear the cracking. No? But when the storm comes, then the tree falls very easy. Right. And then you see it was rotten inside. So I think that Bitcoin is this cracking. The tree is still there, but Bitcoin and cyberspace is this cracking that, that you can hear nowadays and use it to see that this political form is coming to an end. And the storm is coming. Yeah, the storm is here. <laughs> That's really good. I, uh, I tweeted this yesterday. I said, uh, apolitical money is the most significant political disruption in human history. Like we've, 
the political form of whatever it's taken, the state or whatever the monopoly on violence has been, has always monopolized the money. Mm. So these things have gone hand in hand, right? The the physical power has established political power through controlling the money. Um, and this idea of having something that a state cannot confiscate, a state which depends wholly on revenues through confiscation, right? Taxation, inflation, regulation, stealing. Um, all of a sudden we introduce a form of property that they cannot violate or confiscate. Uh, it is a really big deal. And you know what else? It's If you go back, I often say this on the show, looking at the Magna Carta that King John signed in 1215, mm-hmm. it was life, the, this, the exclusive philosophical scope of an ideal government was to preserve life, liberty, and inviolable private property, which is to say ownership that cannot be confiscated or violated at the whim of a king or anyone else. That was the, you know, this is the precursor document to the U.S. Constitution. So it's like this long multi-century enterprise. We've been aimed at this ideal of inviolable private property, but we never had it. It never actually existed. It was never implemented in any technological form. But now in Bitcoin, not that it's perfect, of course, right? Plenty of Bitcoin has been confiscated. Plenty of Bitcoin has been lost. People that mismanage their keys, mismanage their wealth. But we have the tools available today with things like multi-key, multi-signature solutions to custody Bitcoin in a way that is as close to impossible to take as any form of property has ever been. Mm. And the long-run implications of that for the existence, the existential necessity for something like the nation state are, I mean, this is the place in the rabbit hole where people start to, their minds get blown. Yeah. This is the same that you can analyze Bitcoin from the money perspective, from political perspective. You can analyze it from property perspective. And I think that this is the part that I really enjoyed from software, mm-hmm. from Jason Lowry, uh, that uh, he explains you the evolution of property. Mm-hmm. No? And basically in the, in the wild, property is what you can physically protect and Territory. Yeah, yeah. make yours. Like when the wolf is eating this deer, like how does it prove that it's his? Uh, it's just by... Uh, looking at you and say, yeah, come and take it if you want. Yeah. And you say, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. So, uh, but then that's property. And now we live in this abstract power that at the end is uh, is this mix, uh, is this authority, no? Yeah. That you create these laws and that you create this fiction that now there is, a, a, at least in Spain, there is a registry, for example, for a house that says who is the owner of each uh, apartment, house, and so on. You know? And now we create this fiction that, uh, yeah, that what says that uh, registry is what is really yours. Mm-hmm. And so far, so good. But we have seen in, in places uh, like Peru, for example, that there are moments that it comes uh, a lot of people to your land, they take it, and you yeah. cannot do anything. Yeah. You can try to call police, so at the end you can try to enforce physical power to kick them out. But the state is so broken that they don't do anything, or maybe for political decisions, they prefer not to do anything because they want their votes and and yeah, the property is broken. So from the property perspective, Bitcoin is amazing because it you become the wall, but without having even to like yeah your pole you did it before to get that Bitcoin. But once you get it, you need a little bit more proof of work to learn how to store it and yeah. manage keys, maybe right. multi seek and protect right. it. But that's that's all the effort that yeah. you have to do, and they cannot do anything. Yeah. They they can torture you and so on, but even if it's in a time lock, uh, a mini script wallet, 
what they can do. They cannot right. do. This, they are going against mathematics. Right. So, yeah, break mathematics, get Bitcoin. <laughs> not <laughs> from all the way around. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. So it's in giving this unparalleled degree of power to the people, obviously with great power comes great responsibility. Um, and I guess that's what Bitcoiners are still going through is the process of really learning this radical responsibility that that radical ownership necessitates. Yeah. And um, it seems transformative, right? I don't know. Something about shouldering that much responsibility and going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, the, the combination of these two things really seem to be transformative to people. Like people are changing. Forgetting what money is is a 150 years thing. Mm-hmm. But forgetting who we are Mm. From the nation state perspective, it's like a 400 year thing. Mm. So to take responsibility is a hard thing. Mm. And it's not an easy, and even it's something that people doesn't desire. And I was surprised. I did a, a series of uh, podcasts with beginners, completely beginners. I was inviting them and I didn't, I had a, like an idea of what I wanted to ask. The podcast, <laughs> they turned out uh, completely different mm. because they had questions I, I could never imagine. I'm so deep in the rabbit hole, like mm-hmm. I'm not anymore a beginner. And uh, there was this girl, and to me, it surprised me amazingly that she said that she didn't like this uh, 12, 24 words thing because she feels a huge responsibility and she doesn't like it. Hmm. And I said, so what do you like? I said, I like to go to the bank and, and that they give me my money. Hmm. And I said, okay, but for you to, to go to the bank and for them to give you the money, they need your identity. So basically, your keys are your identity. Hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's what I want. Hmm. And then <laughs> you realize that 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 a lot of people doesn't want to do that step, that the, this responsibility is a high cost, again, yes. for a lot of people. And maybe in those cases, that's why I sometimes think that maybe FediMind and, and this kind of tools will be helpful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, incre- it's, it's amazing because I think that the, the, the mental work we have to do with ourselves to not be afraid to, to, to just go back to what we should do. Mm-hmm. do what animals do to just to keep our property safe mm-hmm. and and to not trust uh, anybody that's very hard we are yes. very afraid of responsibility yeah and uh, like to your point perhaps as a product of conditioning over the past 400 years right the the fatherland or the motherland the nanny nation state will just take care of you know everything social security retirement blah 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 uh, it's very easy in those conditions to, I guess, abdicate responsibility, which is something that we're inherently, it, it's, it can be scary, right? It can be scary because if you mess up, well, then it's on you, right? You don't have someone to fall back on. So yeah, maybe that's part of the transformation Bitcoiners are going through is just reawakening to the reality of personal responsibility that, I mean, the hard truth is we are each responsible for our own lives and ourselves. No one's coming to save you, right? As much as you might like to believe that, it's typically not true from a historical standpoint. And not taking hold of your responsibility uh, can be even convenient and and successful for some people. Maybe my parents, uh, who lived a very prosperous time in Spain, um, it, it played well for them. Uh-huh. They didn't took that responsibility, but the system was working, the state was not so oppressive, taxes were okay, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, the importance of responsibility is that when things go south, like people living in Venezuela, Venezuela was one of the wealthiest uh, um, and most prosperous uh, countries in the Latin America in, in 1950. Mm-hmm. 
No? Uh, so it was unexpected. Uh, Argentina, in beginning of the 20th century, mm. very prosperous uh, country as well, unexpected as well. So when things go south, if you didn't have a little grasp of what responsibility is and what can happen to you uh, when uh, distrusted third parties became untrusted third parties, then you have a, you will have a very hard moment. Mm. So, okay, maybe we don't have to burn everything down, mm -hmm. but at least to open eyes and get ready mm. because this can get ugly. The storm is coming. Yeah, it's yeah. cracking. <laughs> Luna, um, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, Thank you. It's been a very fun conversation. I Thank appreciate you. the philosophical bent on things. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, they can look for me on Twitter, uh, Lunaticoin, uh, in YouTube the same. There, are, I rarely do English shows, but sometimes I have some. Mm -hmm. So maybe if, if they, or they want to learn Spanish, mm -hmm. they can also listen to them. So yeah, they can, they can find me there. Twitter, mostly. Awesome. Thank you again, and uh, I guess we should go get to this conference. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, thanks.